tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. You learn something every day if you pay attention. That's why I try not to pay attention. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I, what I was talking about before, I just noticed that there were two clocks in the in the studio where I am currently sitting in beautiful Lincolnshire, and uh, they didn't agree with each other. Not, and, and I was told by the voice in my head, one is real time and the other is show time. That implies that the show isn't real. What? Who? Where? There's a delay in the broadcast. You're sure it's not just a time warp, and I'm time traveling. This is time travel. You didn't. Oh even gosh, know. that time travel. You didn't even know. At any rate, well, speaking of time travel, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Again, wonderful readings. Uh, it starts again with brothers and sisters, which isn't in the text. I know I, I get upset about things that maybe I shouldn't worry about, but that makes me crazy. It's not in the text. It's one of your many axes you like to grind. Yes, one of my many axes that I like to grind. In your struggle against sin. Now, let's look at that. In your struggle against sin. First of all, sin. Uh, the word in Greek is hamartia, which I'm sure I've explained this to you constantly. It's a term that comes from sporting, and it means to miss the target. It's all it means, hamartia, to miss the mark. We read in, in I believe it's the third chapter of uh, <clears throat> St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You miss the target. You know, God has this plan for your lives, and you can, you can hit it or you can miss it. And so that's what a sin is. It's a hamartia, and it, it implies in the context of Scripture a moral failing, but it's a failing. And, and I think that that's a very important thing to remember. And, of course, I'm trying to click on something that will give me the, the Greek text of a line. And it oh, won't, good grief. And it won't open. Oh, well. So I'll move on. Well, yeah, you want to come in? Yeah, the voice in my head can come in and, and, uh, and click on this. Oh, good grief. <laughs> well, he's not good grief. Isn't this? Yes, I'm thinking of my former deacon. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> Deacon O'Leary who said, <clears throat> my show is a 
an hour of uh, uh, broadcasting untouched by uh, professionalism. All right. Yes, radio is not an exact science. No, radio is not an exact science when I'm doing it. All right, let's see here. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Kathistemi means to to oppose. Okay. Ah, now let's get Shirley, back to you the can't text. Be serious. I am serious. And yes. don't call me don't Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. All right. In your opposition to failure, you've not the word struggle here. It 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 means uh, uh, an opposition, a thorough opposition. In your thorough opposition again, in your struggle against sin. So what we're opposing is moral failure. And to me, that's kind of interesting. What 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 does it mean to oppose moral failure? Um, well, I think it involves confession. Uh, that again, something I an axe I grind a lot. That um, sin isn't the problem. It's refusal to confess sin that's the problem. We Catholics, we got a confessional. It's when I say my sin is not sin that I really I believe. I'm committing the sin against the Holy Spirit and putting myself outside the power of God. So uh, we're struggling against sin. And when we refuse to confess, that is to admit. That's what the word confess means. It means to admit, to agree. When I refuse to admit sin, then I am, I am, um, I've given the struggle up. So that said, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Uh, I think of uh, the mother of, Saint Louis, the King of France, who said that she would rather, on the day of his first communion, she said, "I would rather see you dead than commit a mortal sin." That that's a powerful thing to say. Well, my son, do not disdain the discipline of the Lord. Well, let's look at the word discipline. The word discipline, it it's uh, it's it's a verb form, paduo. It means it's a verb form of the word for a child. In other words. Paiduain means to to uh, uh, to be responsible for the, the the moral life and upbringing of a child, and it's kind of interesting because what the the text is saying is that you discipline someone you care for. So, my son, do not dis, dis, disdain the uh, the upbringing of the Lord, or lose heart when reproved for, by Him, for whom the Lord loves. He disciplines. He scourges every son he acknowledges. Wow, that's that's a powerful word. We'll talk about that later. Endure your trials as as discipline. Now, the word in Latin, discipline's a Latin word, and it means teaching. A disciple is a student. Discipline is teaching. Endure your trials as teaching. God treats you as his son. Uh, that... All discipline seems a cause not for joy but for pain. Go do your homework. You know, I look back on my education, and now I really want to. I want to know stuff. I, I, I think, why didn't I pay attention in school? Well, I heard someone also say, "Stop hoping for a better past." But it was onerous. Go do your homework. It's onerous. You got to do this project. But it's the Christmas vacation. You still got to do the project. It's onerous, and if I had been more willing to accept that as a, as a young man and as a child, I would be way ahead of where I am today. So, what son is there with fathers doesn't discipline? Later, it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Again, righteousness. 
I believe righteousness is the character of God, that, that it involves the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is like. And the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And peace here isn't just calm. Peace is, is well-being. The, 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 the well-being, which is the fruit of being like God. You let God discipline you. Let God transform you. You know, so strengthen your drooping hands. These are great words. Drooping hands, it literally means hands that have kind of gone away, given up. And the, the, knee, the, the, uh, the weak knees, that word weak is uh, uh, kind of washed out. That's what it means. They're kind of fun words. Make straight paths for your feet, that what is lame may not be dislocated, but be healed. How do you do that? Well, he just told you in the passage, submit to the discipline of God. How often have I mentioned, said that, that the prayer of the pagan is, give me what I want. And we Christians, we're, we're allowed to ask for things we want. But the real profound prayer of the believer is not, give me what I want. It's, Lord, teach me your ways. This is the way God works. Oh, okay, I can trust him. This is the way he works. So submit to the discipline, to the teaching of the Lord, to the, to the education that God wants to give you, even when it seems difficult or onerous. Submit to his education. And then the result is that our drooping hands and weak knees can be strengthened. So strive for peace with everyone. Good advice. You know, we live in a world that is so conscious of its, its perks and its, its rights and its needs and you know, strive for peace with everyone. It doesn't mean to put up with wrongdoing and immorality, but you want to be at peace with everyone. Now, what does that mean? Again, I'm assuming the, this letter to the Hebrews had to do with Jewish people. And the word shalom in, in Hebrew doesn't just mean tranquility and calm. It means general well-being. It could be in the Old Testament, it's kind of material uh, the way you ask a, a Jew to this day in Hebrew, how are you? You say, Mahashalomcha. How's your shalom? How's your, how's your situation? So strive for, for peace with everyone. You know, as just saying, the prayer of the Russian peasant is not, oh, Lord, give me a cow like my neighbor's. It's, oh, Lord, may my neighbor's cow drop dead. It's an old joke I heard. I don't mean to diss any Russians who may be listening. They're wonderful people. But... So often in our relationship, we become angry and upset about the prosperity of others. The prosperity of others is good for me. If, if you're doing well, it benefits me as, also. But we have this competitive urge. So get over that. Strive for peace with everyone. Gen, genuinely be glad when, when people are doing well. Why? Because they belong to God. They're, they're children of God. You want them to do well materially, but especially spiritually. And strive for that holiness without which no one will see God. In other words, what is holiness? It means to belong to God, to, to, to allow God to, to do this process of teaching and, and making us to look like him. We will not be able to recognize him until we are like him. Scripture says that elsewhere. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And see that no one be deprived of the grace of God, that no bitter roots spring up and cause trouble, through which many become defiled. Stop living competitively with other people. Be glad at their success. 
be glad. At, you know, a real artist, you know, you meet lots of people who consider themselves artists, and you're in an art gallery. So, oh, look at that beautiful painting. Well, it's not really as good. I would have done it this way, and it's, you know, not as good as, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. The real artist looks at something beautiful and sees beauty and says, that's a beautiful painting that guy did. A real artist recognizes the beauty of the work of another person. And we need to recognize the beauty of God's work in every human being. If someone else gets elected to the head of the, the, the baking committee in church, be glad. If someone else gets a windfall, be glad. If someone else you know, is holier than you are, be glad. So don't let bitterness spring up because the idea God loves everyone infinitely. All right, let's go to the gospel. Okay, let's move along to the gospel. All right. Um, this is Mark, the sixth chapter, the first verse and following. <clears throat> and this gospel is an amazing gospel. Jesus came to his native place accompanied by his, his students, his disciples, whom he was discipling. When the, path, when the Sabbath came, he began teaching the synagogue, and many were astonished. Uh, they said, where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given them? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Now, this is the verse that bothers everyone. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? James and Joseph, in another place, Joseph is another way to say Joseph. James and Joseph are clearly the children of a woman who is not the Blessed Mother. We see that in the crucifixion accounts. In the Eastern Church, they believe that these brothers of the Lord were uh, children of uh, Joseph by uh, a first marriage. His first wife had died. That's taken from the the, the Proto-Evangelion of St. James. We in the West tend to believe, no, that these, these were more cousins of Jesus. And in Aramaic, the language spoken at the time, there was no word for cousins. They would have been called the brothers of the Lord. You have to say, to say cousin, you have to say, my, my uncle's son— or they just they just call them brother and sister. That's what uh, Assyrian uh, Aramaic speaking friends of mine have told me. So the scripture clearly says Jesus had these close relatives. It doesn't say they were children of Mary. In fact, it's kind of funny. Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph? It doesn't say that Jesus had brothers in one sense or another. It doesn't say Mary had other kids. And she stood alone at the foot of the cross. If she had had other children, she would have had to live with them. It would have almost been law. But the fact is that she went to live with John, the beloved disciple. So, you know, I get—I I must admit to getting a little tired of answering that question. What about the Mary, Mary and Joseph and the brothers of Jesus? Doesn't say they were kids, and I don't think they were. They took offense at him. And the word in Greek is literally, they were scandalized by him. This is exactly what the letter to the Hebrews is talking about. You know, this is just the carpenter's son. And the word carpenter here really means, if the word in Greek is tecton. It means someone who's in the building trades. Isn't this, isn't this the, 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 the well, isn't, isn't this the, the tecton? Isn't this the, you know, the guy in construction who's the son of Mary? They took offense at him. Who do you think you are? That's that jealousy. <laughs> someone got ahead. Someone from the town was getting uppity. And uh, who did he think he was? Now, this to me is the real amazing part of this reading. A prophet is not without honor except in his native place 
and among his own kin, his own house. Well, that's true, you know. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there. That's exactly what he. That's exactly what he was. Uh, what the word is? He was not able. He's the son. Of, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What does it mean? He he wasn't able. And why wasn't he able? Because of their lack of faith, their lack of trust. This, to me, is among the most amazing things about our faith. We believe that we can limit God. We can limit God because he's given us the ability. God is all-powerful, but he has lowered himself to be restrained and restricted by you and me. To think that the hand that set the stars to spinning, if we're right about this, and I think we are, the hand that set the stars of spinning to spinning could not lift itself from the wood of the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He, he who was all-powerful became powerless for love of us. We think that, well, we can overwhelm people with our power, and they'll love us for it. Uh, quite the opposite. He who was all-powerful became powerless for love of us, and he does that in our life. We are able to limit the creator of the universe by refusing to trust him. That's, that's amazing. Well, he was amazed <laughs> at their lack of trust. I think that's, that's... How do you amaze God? By refusing to trust him. We are designed to trust God. And the, the fact that we don't is truly amazing. So that said, you know, trust God. Because people say, well, if, if God would do some great thing and I could see a miracle, I'd trust him. Oh, it works the opposite way. Trust him, and then you begin to see the miracles. Um, trust Jesus. All right, I can stop there, and we'll come back with letters. We'll open the phones at 888 914 9149. That's 888 914 9149. We will be back, God willing. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. Tell me, didn't it rain, or rain, or rain, children? Rain, oh my Lord, didn't it? Yes, didn't it? You know it did, didn't it? Oh, oh my Lord, didn't it rain? Amen. I do love gospel. It is one of the great contributions of the African-American community to, uh, to American culture. It is great stuff. Well, where was I? Let us go now to letters. Remembering, of course, oh, God, the old trumpet's back. Oh, good grief. Yeah, we have the old trumpet back. It'll. <coughs> I'm not startled by it. All right. This is a letter from... Terence, who said he once heard Father Matthew Spencer say that due to uh, a former brain illness, I, Father Spencer had a, he'd had a stroke, uh, very unusual, didn't he? Oh yeah, Father, yeah, he, he'd had a stroke, I believe it was. Um, um, 
So he doesn't have the full use of one arm. Also, I believe it may have been in reference uh, to the moment of the consecration. We looked this up. I'd like to say I looked it up, but really the voice in my head did. Thank you, voice in my head. Nick, the producer, for— I take cash or check. Oh, cash or check. Or make, yeah, make your donation out to cash. Uh, where was I? The uh, Just kidding, just kidding. Um, the— um, we looked it up, and oddly enough, the rubrics, again, rubrics are the red letters in a, a missile that tell you what to do, and the black letters are the ones that tell you what to say. So the rubrics are very important, and one should stick to the rubrics. The rubrics simply say the priest now shows the host to the congregation, the priest now shows the chalice to the congregation. It doesn't say how many hands are to be used in it, so... I suppose it's not a violation even of the rubrics. Um, this, the offering of the body and blood of the Lord to the Father is always thought of as happening what we used to call the minor elevation. That's through him, with him, and in him to Almighty Father, that prayer at the end of each canon. Uh, I remember hearing a story once upon a time, in, especially in the Middle Ages, when this lifting of the host in the chalice uh, was so that people looking at the priest saying Mass facing the altar uh, away from the people so the people could see the, the chalice and the host after the con consecration. That was thought uh, as an act of great piety and virtue. And people would, would literally time the Mass and they would run from church to church to see the elevation. They didn't, they didn't receive communion because that took a great deal of prayer, fasting, and preparation and all that. <clears throat> but this is, of course, in the Middle Ages. And the story is told of a priest, uh, I think his name was, uh, let's call his name John. Uh, the, the priest is, is raising the host and raising the chalice, and he's not doing much of a job of it. And somebody from the congregation shouted, heave it higher, Sir John, heave it higher. In other words, they couldn't see the host. So this, this raising of the chalice and the host is for the purpose of our adoration uh, the offering to the Lord, uh, as I was taught this, was at the the, the so-called minor elevation at the end of the canon. So thanks for the uh, the insight into that, and very interesting. You know, of course, oh, there, there I found my mouse again. I'm getting better at finding my mouse. That's good. All right, click on that, and then now click on this. This is a good one. What does it mean to offer it up? This is from Mercedes. The dear nuns, when I was a boy, whenever anything bad happened, would say, offer it, offer it up, offer it up to the Blessed Mother, offer it up to the Lord. What does that mean? We are a sacrificial people. Scripture says, make of your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. When we suffer difficulty, we can unite that suffering to the sufferings of Christ. The morning offering, a wonderful prayer, O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings today in union with the sacrifice of the Mass. Jesus invites us to participate in his cross. Why? Again, we need to look at our lives in the world as spiritual warfare. <clears throat> we are involved in a struggle against sin, as we read today, a struggle against failure. The devil is really big into human failure. 
And we're fighting that failure, that moral failure. I have spoken about fasting a number of times, and I'll put off speaking a great deal about it toward closer to Lent, but why fast? Fasting is an exercise in self-discipline. The devil wants to steal our freedom. C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters talks about uh, the devil going about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He doesn't quote that verse exactly, but I believe that's the one he's referring to when he says that the devil looks at us as, as food prepared for the table. The stronger will devouring the weaker. Fasting is an exercise of free will. I could eat that cake, but I'm not going to. In other words, our job is to resist the devil by expressing our freedom. This is what offering it up is about, that we accept this difficulty because we are free. Instead of whining about things going badly, we accept this suffering because we are free. And the freer we are, the weaker the devil is. You know, we don't talk about spiritual warfare much, and but spiritual warfare has to do, I believe, with freedom. You know, uh, as I said, I was never an exorcist, but in my in my occasional assisting of exorcists, I realized that the big job of the exorcist was to get the afflicted person to exercise his own freedom by expressing his faith, his trust in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Creed. The devil wants to devour our, our, our weak wills, our, our weak knees and our, our drooping hands. Offering it up is a kind of fasting. It's a kind of exercise of freedom. So I believe that's what is meant by the phrase offered up. And that's why we Catholics uh, talk about offering it up. Right now I'm offering up the fact that I once again can't find the mouse. Um, I got it. I got it. Oh, there it is. Ha ha. So um, offer it up. Offer it up. Exercise your freedom. Tell the devil that you trust God. All right. Let's see here. Now this is kind of an interesting one. It's nice and I like it because he's expressing uh, <clears throat> sorrow for priests. And you know me, I'm particularly whiny. This is from James. Hi, Father Simon. <coughs> oh, I cough button is somewhere. Oh, dear. I, it's somewhere. I don't know where the cough button is here. That's all right. I'm good. Uh, hi, Father Simon. When I was a kid, I always was always in awe of the size of the host that a priest got to eat. Moving forward many decades and hopefully a, makes a more mature person, I feel sorry for priests. The size of the priest host is, I suspect, again, a matter of the congregation wanting to see the consecrated host. I feel sorry for priests. I've come to understand that Jesus only stays with you for about 10 minutes after receiving him in communion. However, to me, I never see the priest have the chance to reflect in silence with Jesus uh, within him. Instead, I see the priest reduced to an assembly line worker, quickly distributing the body of Christ to get the congregation out the door. <laughs> well, yeah, the parking lot gets crazy if you go too long, let me tell you. To me, there needs to be a chance for priests to have some time with Jesus. You know, I hate to say this, James, but you're right. It's very important for priests to make a Thanksgiving after Mass, but, you know, we don't get the chance to do it. Because the sacristy is full of people uh, um, who want to talk to Father. you got to greet people at the door. You really don't have the time to, to be alone with the Lord. And, 
I'm kind of funny as a priest. I like to go to Mass um, precisely because of this reason, James. You know, that, that um, we have so come to look at the Mass as a social event that the priest is the one who sometimes not— maybe this is just me— the priest is the one who sometimes prays least at Mass. He's worried about this, you know, somebody faints in the second row, uh, uh, you know, the church is too hot, the church is too cold, there was somebody complaining in the vestibule before Mass, and somebody is waiting in the wings because they want to complain about something or talk to you. It, it, it really is, uh, the, the piety of priests is, is, I think, very, very important to the well-being of the church, and the way that we treat the celebrant of the Mass, allowing him no kind of um, time with the Lord. Now, a priest can sit in the chair after communion and extend a period of silent prayer. Um, that can be done. But <laughs> your statement about getting people out, out of the door, you think about it because, oh, the, I have actually had to go out into the parking lot investments to direct traffic in my life. And that just shouldn't happen. So you know, I, I I really do think we have to look at the at the at the spirituality of the diocesan priest, and I suppose religious order priest. But the spirituality of the diocesan priest is very important to the well-being of a parish, and we really don't pay much attention to it. So that's just me. Maybe I'm just talking about myself, but um, I have a feeling that there are other clergymen who are in the same boat. And, of course, once again, ah, there's the mouse. It's, oh, it keeps wanting to go over to that screen. I don't know why. All right. Let me, what, what are we doing time? Oh, we got plenty of time. We're doing well. All right. Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? <laughs> I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. <laughs> That's a great line. All right. Moving along here. Marie, a fellow parishioner recently asked my husband to be the baptismal sponsor for her 10-year-old boy. She's a single parent. And raising the boy as her son, uh, he is an extended family member. Uh, in other words, this isn't her, she's the legal guardian, if I'm reading the letter correctly, and not the actual uh, biological parent of the child. The parent said she is looking for some good people to be good parents for her son. I think she's looking for role models, uh, but that's just my feeling. The parent didn't specifically state that we are a little... Uh, the, the parent didn't specifically state that. We are a little hesitant to agree because we don't know the parent and the child at the other, other than seeing them at church. Here is my question. If we agree, what is our spiritual responsibility to the child? Well, the life I have lived for many years, it isn't just a spiritual responsibility. I've lived in the Spanish-speaking community, and it's, it's a material commitment, at least for Spanish-speaking people I know, and it really is a familial commitment. You're being invited into that person's family. What I would do is I would say, well, let's get to know each other, and, and we'll see if we can do the job for you. But let's let's get to know each other. Let's have dinner. We want to meet the, meet meet this young young person. And uh, you would be responsible, of course, to pray for this child minimally. And you would really be responsible for the religious education of this child if the parent or guardian could not do it. So I agree with you. Before before committing yourself to that, <clears throat> I would get to know this young person because this this kid is over the age of reason. This is a, 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 
a fully functioning human being who you are entering into a very profound relationship with. So get to know them and then prayerfully make a decision. Uh, this young person wants to be baptized, and so I think it's a very important thing. So be a little urgent about it. Um, so I hope that helps, Marie. Um, it's a wonderful thing to do, but you're very wise to, to ask yourself if you will be able to do it uh, in a way that is appropriate. So um, good, good that you're going to look before you leap. All right. Well, let's go to a break. I'll come back with a word of the day. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> Oh, yes. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. Hi, this is Father Rich Simon. Have you ever dreamt of seeing the sights in Italy? St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, Drew Mariani in the Colosseum, fighting to the death. More info on our September Eucharistic Revival Pilgrimage at RelevantRadio.com slash Italy. Seats are limited, not in the Colosseum necessarily, but on, on the pilgrimage. I'm going to keep on trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. Amen. Well, it's time, as you probably know, for the word of the day. Give me a word. Any <laughs> word, and I show you how the root of that word is Greek. <laughs> there you go. Well, I do use a lot of Greek here. All right. Uh, do we have the gong? Oh, the gong. There's the gong. Oh, it was in place of the gong. Oh, well. All right. In the, in the first reading, Letter of the Hebrews, is a, word, a line that, well, it can't really mean what it means. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son he acknowledges. The word in Greek is mastigoi. It means whip. It's literally means he whips every son he acknowledges. Oh, we should report God to the Department of Children and Family Services here. Well, remember, I always say God has this problem. He thinks he's God. What is that about? That God, God, I mean, he He hurts people? He may hurt you. He'll never harm you. I remember when I was a kid, I was I was very ill, and they never quite figured out what it was. I, 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 I don't remember much of it, but I guess I actually had to be carried around. Um and uh, some dear nuns came and prayed for uh, me, and I got better uh, suddenly and instantly. But I used to have to go for a weekly blood test. <laughs> I remember the last blood test. Um, the doctor missed the vein. I was about six or seven years old. And I looked at the doctor all in all seriousness, and I said, as the needle gurgled, um, I said, I think you've taken all the blood out of that arm. And he smiled. He was not a smiling doctor, but he smiled and said, I think so, and did the other arm. But I would go in, and I would sit on my mother's lap, and the doctor would take this needle that to me looked like a, you know, a, a turkey baster, and he would suck the blood out of my arm. And um, <clears throat> it hurt, but it didn't harm. In fact, it helped in the long run. 
God, as a good parent, may cause you hurt. Now, I'm not recommending the beating of children by no means. We don't do that. But we do give them times out and say, no, you can't have this. And um, uh, there is discipline. In the ancient world, physical discipline was expected. Uh, It is not now. However, discipline is still expected. This verse in Scripture, he, he whips every, every son or daughter that he acknowledges. If you were a slave, you weren't a son. And you would be whipped, but not by the master. You would be whipped by a, a, an overseer, another slave. Uh, the punishment of a son belonged to his father and not simply to a slave, with some exceptions. Uh, the pedagogue, the, the kind of babysitter slave that would be hired as a, as a sort of tutor for the child, he had the right to beat, beat, the, beat the children, but he didn't do it very often or very hard because that kid was going to own him someday. But uh, I digress. The scripture says <clears throat> that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And people say, well, is that word really fear? Yes, it's fear. It's fear. And the scripture tells us we are to fear God. It says that frequently. Well, I thought God is love. Have you not read that that the beginning of wisdom is fear? It isn't the end of fear. Love casts out fear. With my father, my father was, was a very, very strong man. I don't mean physically, but... He was a very uh, principled man, and we were genuinely afraid of him when we were little. He never struck us ever. He never needed to. He had what we called the hairy eyeball. He would look at you, and you knew he meant business. Was he being cruel? No. He was being a father that he provided the, the moral compass that we needed as children. And we were afraid of the consequence of disobeying him. When I got older, I realized, you know, about this, that, and the other thing, my father was right. I obey my father still, even though he isn't with me. He's, I believe, with the Lord. Um, I obey him, though, not because I'm afraid of him, but because I realize he was right and I love him because he loved me. So love causes obedience, having replaced fear. It may have begun as a little child with fear. It ended as an adult with love. When you don't accept the idea that <laughs> the letter of the Hebrew says elsewhere, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it is a fearful thing. It is... It is filled with hope and with, with, with love, but it is a fearful thing. So you cannot, you know, I, I'm sure I've shared this with you. When you encounter God, you have met someone who cannot be bargained with, who cannot be intimidated or bullied or cajoled or conned or lied to or deceived. God has this problem. He thinks he's God and he's going to prove it in your life and in mine. And then when he has, we go on to the rest of the spiritual life and we realize that God is love, real love, not just the, the squishy, soft, uh, uh, what's the word, the squishy, soft uh, 
substitute we've made for love. All right, let's go. Gosh, I've talked long. The phone is ringing. Let us let us go to Fern. Are you with us, Fern? What can I do for you? I am. Good. What can I do um, for I, you? I just have a little question. Well, sure. A couple questions, actually. Okay, when we we're at mass and we strike our breasts uh, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, three times there, but then we don't ever do it again from uh, with the um, Lamb of God. I do. I mean, I do too, but I always feel dumb because no one else does. But we was, still should and could, right? Well, we could. I don't know if we should, but we could. I mean, it's a free country. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, I think it's a, 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 it's an old custom, and the threeness yeah. of it is interesting. That if you're a Jew, third time's the charm. You do something three times, it's done. Jesus was in the tomb three days. That means he was really dead. I've often shared this example. You sit in the same seat on a Friday night in synagogue three times in a row. That's your pew. Someone else is sitting there. You look at them, and they realize it's your pew, and they move. So three is very important in Hebrew thought, the, the number three. So thus, uh, um, uh, this this three times beating of the of the of the breast is is this is what I really deserve. And the idea, Lamb of God, a lamb is a lamb of sacrifice. What you're saying when you beat your breast at the Lamb of God is you're saying, he's being sacrificed for me. I should have been the one uh, sacrificed, but he's, he's being sacrificed for me. So I think it's a beautiful custom. I still do it. We did it when I was a kid. Um, so there you go. And we, I got one more. Sure, why not? Go on. Okay. One time at Mass, I went up and I received uh, the host, and then he had the, the wine chalice, this other girl, and I tasted it. It wasn't wine, it was whiskey. What? Yeah. I find that rather hard to believe. My goodness. Well, if it was whiskey, that was not valid matter for the, the Eucharist, but maybe it was just a different tasting wine that they were experimenting no, no. with. No, because I was cr- I curled my toes. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was just like, "Holy cow!" That was not because I love wine. Wine is the one drink I like, oh. and I take a beer occasionally, but I never had anything else. And I either either brandy or whiskey because that was not wine. That I, curled my toes. I couldn't. I don't know what the to tell you. Away, so I mean, yeah, I know. I just wanted your thoughts. You know, on that. it I was, that was it was right popular. Either. It was popular at one point to have fortified wines in the Eucharist, like port or something. And those are fortified with, with brandy or, or uh, um, sometimes other kinds of alcohol. And they are not valid matter for the Eucharist. A fortified wine, uh, the, the wine used at the Eucharist must be of, of, of made of grapes and only grapes. Uh, so okay. it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it might have just been a mistake, a uh, fortified wine instead of uh, a wine that was appropriate for Mass. I don't know what to tell you. I've never heard of that no, happening. I just wanted your thought. I, well, if it was whiskey, it was thought. invalid. <laughs> so that's my thought. Good grief. All right. Well, thanks for calling in. God bless. Let's go to Mario. Uh, Mario, what can I do for you? Hey, Father. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Father, I'm, I'm in a debacle. I, I'm going through a divorce. Uh, oh, the children I don't want. I'm very Catholic. And, you know, everybody's telling me, oh, move well, on, you know, let go, let go. And, you know, um, you can find somebody else, but that's not, that's not my thing as a Catholic, no. you know, no, you're, gentleman. Yeah. Scripture says so God hates divorce. Know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you say that and they say that you, they look at you like you have horns or something. You're crazy. No, so they're, how, they're how crazy. Would you handle it how would I handle yeah. it? Now, are there children involved? Yes. How old are the children? And 11 and 8. 11 and 8. 
What do they think about this? They don't want it. They don't want it. Now, divorce. Catholic school. Divorce is one of the cruelest things you can do to a child. Um, you know, divorce has become so easy, and um, yep. I would certainly. Um, at some point, I'm sure you've already said this to her, for the sake of the children, can't we work this out? Can't we go to counseling? Yeah. Is she open to counseling? She refuses. She, she went, but she refused to, to participate. I mean, quick aside, she's also probably having an, she's having an affair. I know for a fact, not probably. She uh -huh. is having an affair. And, yeah. You know, we're already at so much money in lawyers, and I still try to do the best to be, you know, have humility and just do the best I can. I just have to let go, but it's just tough because everybody's kind of like, you know, what are you doing? Like, oh, just you can find somebody else. And I just, no, that's not how it works. That's not Even how it the works. Says I'm going to be divorced. Yeah. No, I, I would, I would fight it as long as possible legally. And uh, one thing I would caution you to do is never badmouth your, your wife to the kids. Uh, they're suffering enough. Um, yeah. Uh, that That's a real temptation divorce to use the kids as weapons. But, don't do that. Um, but I would get a good lawyer. I would get a good, uh, you know, in terms of, especially in terms of, of uh, the custody of, of children. Um, now, do you, are you close to your genetic family, your parents, your siblings? Yes. I would yes. really, really lean on them big time. Are they being, are they being helpful to you in any way? Oh, of course. Yeah, I would. I Thank would, God they are, yes. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, you're going to need that support. And those kids will need a sense of family uh, if the divorce goes through. And I would really, um, do they have cousins to whom they're close, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, I would really push that idea of family. We are a family, um, that, that uh, this is your family. And uh, it's a tough thing, you know. People, I don't know why I'm saying this, but people really, use children, they weaponize children in a divorce. And there's always the threat, I'm going to take these kids and you're never going to see them. That is just demonic. Um, so I would, I would uh, if the divorce, I would just plead with her again, for the sake of the children, can't we work something out? And if she says no, then do your best to, to make sure those children are close to you and close to your family. And I will be praying for you. Lord, please make Thank a way God. where there is no way. All right. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a horrible thing to go through. God Thank bless you. And I will keep you in my prayers. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Father. God bless you. All right. Let's go to Mary from Dallas. Are you with us? Mary. Hi, Father. Um, thanks for taking my call. Just had a question on this Psalms passage, um, Psalms 82, where it talks about gods. Does this mean that we're other gods? Well, other of course there were other gods. They were demons. <laughs> uh, let's pull up the passage. Hold on. Let me get it. Okay. Hitting it's the magic a Psalm button. of Asaph or something yeah. like that. Uh, let's see. God. Okay. Oh, for some reason, my computer just decided to do something strange. That's all right. Well, I... I horrible has happened. No, no, not that horrible. It's just me and computers. Let me see. The The... You know, the, the, you gotta understand. Because God has taken His place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment, and then it goes on <clears throat> in quotes to say what He told them. Yes, because the, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. 
Yeah, it's a very strange and very old psalm. However, what it really means, uh, the, 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 the uh, let me pull it up in Hebrew just to make sure what the word is for God here. Uh, um, psalm of Asaph. God takes his stand in the congregation of the divine. The word used for God in the psalm is Elohim, which is a plural word referring to the one God. That was one of the names of God, Elohim. And then it goes on. He he stands in the uh, in the assembly uh, of 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 the word El is a Semitic root word for God. And it means the one who is above. Elohim is proper to the one God. El can refer to celestial beings. You see, the ancients didn't believe that gods were, they were immortal, but they were not eternal. They would end sometime. They were limited in their powers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was completely uh, uh, um, was completely um, uh, what's the word? It was, it was he, he was completely above all of these other celestial beings. Then it goes on to say, among the Elohim, among the gods, he judges. Now, the second word is a word that's proper to God. The 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 he, in the assembly of. Of the you can almost translate in, in the in the assembly of of the gods in the assembly you can almost translate it in the assembly above. So uh, um, then he judges the gods. In other words, he is more powerful than the gods of the pagans. It, the psalm isn't admitting that there are other gods, but there are celestial beings. Some of them are claiming to be gods. Some of them are revered as gods, but they aren't really gods. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, Judge, and Jacob judges them. He, he's over them. And so these these demonic beings that were being worshipped, the early Christians believed that, yeah, the gods were real. They were demons. And I think that's what it's referring to. That that in the assembly which of of, of the above, uh, he stands, and he judges the gods, who are lesser beings than he. There, it's proved that they're lesser beings than he, because he judges them. So it's a little bit complicated, but the idea of monotheism really came in. It was they came in kicking and screaming, uh, and what what the psalmist is saying that. No, our God is God, and he judges these other so-called gods, and he stands up in the assembly of heaven. That's how I would read that. And speaking of the assembly of heaven, Drew is coming up, and uh, you can take a little trip to heaven with him uh, by praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. 